The Square Peg Podcast. Mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. Not all of us look the way the world expects us to look, think as the world expects us to think, or arrive at our destination the way the world expects us to. On the Square Peg Podcast, we give a voice to mold breakers, trailblazers, and takers of roads less traveled. I'm your host, Andrew Lawrence, and here are their stories. Thank you to the Searchlight Needles for getting us started as always. The hashtag needles aren't just a quartet of middle-aged, overweight, and balding El Pasos. Robert Martinez, Josh Smith, Adrian Ortiz, and David Sines are four really fantastic guys who hold down jobs and take care of families during the week, and they rock out on the weekends. You can find them on the web at www.searchlightneedles.com. You can find them on Facebook, and you can download their album on all streaming services. And now, here's a message from one of the sponsors who make this program possible. Keith Johnson, owner of Camino Tattoo Studio, has been a professional licensed tattoo artist in Las Cruces since 2000. He does everything from American traditional to photorealistic tattooing, and he works by appointment only. Email him today to get your custom tattoo. You can find him at CaminoTattooStudio.com or from the bio in the link at www.CaminoTattooStudio.com. Of course, you can also find Camino Tattoo Studio on Instagram and Facebook. And just a little personal note for me, um, turning 48 here real soon, didn't get my first tattoo until about two years ago. And um, while Keith didn't do that one, he's done three since then. And uh, I've been going through this kind of transition, you know, in my later 40s, if you will, and uh, made some changes to my fitness, to my, my supplementation and my diet. And I've seen some big changes in my body. And I'll tell you, I've never loved my body. I probably never will. But with the changes I've made and the artwork that Keith has uh, been able to put on my body, learning to hate it a little bit less every day. So if you want to be uh, like me and get some good artwork on you, give give Keith a, an email uh, and, and go get your the tattoo. Square Peg Podcast. My guest today is a native of America's heartland in Independence, Missouri. But he's been in New Mexico long enough to be considered a full New Mexican. Tim Farr has a very unique and important language skill, American Sign Language. He's used to help countless people in dire need of his services, including me, and it's also how he makes his living. Welcome to the Square Peg Podcast, Tim Farr. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. I, um, you know, you're, you've heard me read the intro, and I, you know, you may or may not have heard a couple of episodes of our podcast. Um, I think that it's pretty obvious how you fit into what we're doing here on the square peg podcast and finding people with unique experiences in life uh living in the borderland we have a lot of people who um obviously are dual language or bilingual have dual language uh capabilities but um what you don't find too often is somebody somebody with american sign language and um i can imagine that that's the kind of thing you probably comes up and you're a professional and you speak sign language every day as part of your job but i would imagine it's something that comes up sporadically just in real life oh sure i've run into deaf people in random places and they'll ask me to interpret real quick at the grocery store or just an impromptu doctor's office where the doctor couldn't find the interpreter so i would go in and facilitate that for them and well and and i guess do they are these people who obviously know you if they're knowing to ask you but yes. you're in a situation where well i, I wasn't going to ask this till a little bit later on but now that we're talking about it what what would the etiquette be if you're just out somewhere, you're in a restaurant, and you see two people seated at a table speaking to each other in American Sign Language? Do you maybe try to get their attention and be like, hey, if you need help, I'm here? Or, 
you see somebody stopped by a police officer or something like that? I mean, what's the etiquette being you and having your skill set with regard to that, in interjecting yourself? I'm pretty hands-off. I mean, deaf people don't want to be intruded on in their personal lives. Maybe they're just enjoying their own dinner and they don't want some random guy came in, hey, can I, you know, help you with your order? No. I mean, they can point or write or work with their waiter on their own. I mean, they're very independent. They don't need me as a crutch all the time. Right. They need me in essential situations. Okay. And so I, um, you know, I, like a lot of the people, you know, we were talking off uh, before we got started here, but a lot of the people I've interviewed are uh, family and friends and people I've known for, for quite a bit. Um, and because of my uh, very outgoing um, personality, um, you know, you're somebody who I, I went to a training, a professional training, I want to say in 2000, right over here at the Mesilla Park Community Center. It was about how, you know, public service and, and you know, first responder personnel uh, can better help and understand people in the deaf community. And there was a list of sign language interpreters that they kind of handed out. And I punched everybody's name into my phone. And that's your, your name and phone number have been on my contact list uh, for, for over 20 years now. And, of course, like we discussed, you know, you and I, Las Cruces is not the biggest town. We run across each other from time to time uh, around town. But there was a time, I want to say maybe about 10 years ago, where I was at work and I had to interview some people who, uh, who, who were hearing impaired. And, and we'll get, I, I want to know, I want to talk also about what the, I know there's certain terminology, whether it's hard of hearing or hearing impaired or deaf or whatever it is. But anyway, I needed a sign language interpreter, and I needed one bad. Like, and so I'm like, hey, I got this guy's name on my phone. I'm going to give him a call. And guess what? Tim Farr showed up and helped me out. Came down to save the day. So I'm, I'm glad we were able to do that. Now, your interest in sign language um, came kind of out of necessity. Right. Uh, my mother um, was losing her hearing as an adult. She was born hearing. But then from autosclerosis, which is a conductive type of hearing loss, she started losing her hearing aid, uh, her hearing loss, and started wearing hearing aids. Um, she was a nurse in the operating theater, and then she couldn't speech read anymore because the masks and her hearing aids weren't really working because the hard services echo really badly, and that's horrible for people with hearing aids. So she ended up leaving and then becoming like a drug and alcohol counselor so she could do more one-on-one type work, uh, which worked out really well. She was doing group homes and counseling and things like that. And um, so that was my interest, basically. But uh, she was very proud of her hearing um, and devastated by her hearing loss. So she wouldn't learn sign language. That was kind of be my next question. Was it out of necessity to speak with her or just literally something that piqued your interest? And I guess you've answered that now. How did that finally get? Is your mother still with us? or No, she passed away back early 1993, actually. Okay. But so she, so she didn't. And, and I would imagine learning sign language as an adult might be a lot like learning any other language it's as an hard. adult. It's hard. It's hard. Your, your brain's wired the way yeah. it's going to be wired. Right. Um, but, I mean, I hope you were able, she was able to carry on some sort of... Did she ever lose her hearing completely? Uh, no, never completely. But um, the reason, so I would sign to her, which she could read me, you know, receptively, but she didn't want to lift up her hands. She tried a couple of times, but then she's like, it, it's something, you know, it's part of that grieving process, you know, where you don't want to do that. You're just going to deal with what you have. I think that was her issue. You know? So you you started, and this is when you were living in Santa Fe. Did you say you had moved to Santa yes. Fe at the time? Uh-huh. Okay. And where did you, and so when was this? 80s, 90s? Um, 
We moved to Santa Fe in 78. Okay. And uh, lived there for a while. She was still doing nursing, and then that's when she started doing the uh, drug and alcohol stuff. Okay, so there's no, obviously, 1978, there's no YouTube, there's no yeah uh, anything like that. Where do you learn American Sign Language? Uh, my neighbor was deaf, and so he and I would, you know, play around, and, you know, he... Instead of yelling, you know, I decided to learn his language, you know, and it's like... Is this a, child, a, a kid your age? A kid my age. Okay, fantastic. Yeah. And at what point do you start learning formally? Uh, formally, it was probably in 1988 in Santa Fe. I started working at the School for the Deaf in 1989. Uh, I started as a dorm counselor, uh, transportation staff, so hanging out in the dorms, helping kids with homework, doing a little bit of interpreting between... Counselors and students, you know, hearing counselors who don't know sign language who happen to be working there. Um, and then I started interpreting at Capitol High School in Santa Fe, Santa Fe High School. I just kind of build it on from there because I was, you know, bringing up my skills working at the School for the Deaf. I'm just total immersion, you know. Now, working at the School for the Deaf, I would imagine you had to have some sort of some level of proficiency to even get the job. Yeah, I had basic proficiency, I'd say, medium moderate proficiency you know but uh so then by the time i decided this was what i wanted to do i really liked you know the deaf and hard of hearing community so i went to unm and took the interpreter training program down there and that's where i got my formal training is that a bachelor's degree yes. program okay uh-huh. um well actually now they have a master's and a phd program oh wow okay. not at that time but not at that time and now it's funny because you mentioned you mentioned working at the at the school for the deaf uh, and hard of hearing, but then you also mentioned Capitol High School, which kind of brought on kind of made me think of this next question: how we treat people with uh, special needs or a special who have need have a need for special accommodations in school in 2021 is a lot different than we did in 1978. What exactly were you doing for for the students at Capitol? I mean, well, let me let me back up. Were there any other options for for hard of hearing or deaf students? I guess my my assumption might be that they there wouldn't be opportunities for them in the regular public school system. Uh, there are mainstream have uh, mainstream schools have sign language interpreters, and of course, there's a lot of certified interpreters in Santa Fe that do high school work. They just happen in we're always short staffed. We've been short staffed with interpreters for over forty five years. You know, it's just never ending. So they brought me in so I could fill in some kind of lower-level stuff, do some tutoring, uh, that type of stuff. But I wasn't doing the full-fledged, you know, high-content coursework. Now, how old were you this time? Oh, gee, uh, 23. Okay, so you're in, still in college or you've graduated already? Yeah. Okay, so you graduate with a degree in? American Sign Language. American Sign Language. Yeah. Now, how many universities have programs like that? Um, pretty much every state has at least one or two. Um, we have a communication disorders program which teaches sign language here at New Mexico State, but it's not an interpreting program. So UNM is our only interpreting program in the state. And and the, I'm assuming and, these are all accredited? Oh, yes. And actually we have Santa Fe Community College that has a trilingual interpreting program, Spanish, English, and sign language. Spanish, is it Spanish sign language or? No, going from spoken Spanish to spoken English, to American Sign Language. Okay. So they float between three languages. That hurts my brain just thinking about it. it, it yeah. It hurts your brain too? <laughs> yeah. Okay, I've done good. some when the teacher's bilingual, 
and then she can talk in Spanish or English first, and I can listen and get the concept and then put it out there, but it tears my brain to shreds, and I can only do, like, a little bit. <laughs> I, I can imagine. You know, um, so you do that for a couple of years, and then you ended up in Las Cruces somehow. Yeah, well, for, I started working at the School for the Deaf, and then they have a uh, parent-infant program, uh, early intervention program for infants and toddlers, zero to six. So you kind of help the parents out with communication modality, you know, talk about language, talk about how to, you know, bond with your child. Because a lot of parents, the reason uh, a lot of parents have a, a deaf child and then they kind of go through the grieving process too. And so they kind of disengage. And so they don't really communicate with their child. It's very, very common. So that was an interest of mine. But um, I ended up moving to Carlsbad and uh, fell in love and moved down there. And then so Step High hired me to do outreach down there. Cause you said Step? Step High. Is. Yeah, it's a parent infant program. Okay. And is that a nonprofit? Does it run through the state? Or? Oh, it's the New Mexico School for the Deaf Outreach Program. Okay, I got you. Yeah. Uh, and so you're it's in Carlsbad? grant-funded, federally funded stuff. So I was okay. down there, started doing parent-infant stuff, and uh, then they offered me a position over here in Las Cruces, and I thought, okay, when well, I wanted to come over here anyway, so... Who wants I, to live in Carlsbad long-term, right? Yeah, no. No no offense to my Carlsbad friends. Yeah. This is this is my, my, my big city bias. <laughs> it was good enough. It was good for the time. You know, I learned yeah. a lot, and... Um, you know, because I was working out in Lordsburg and Loving, and or not Lordsburg, but Hobbs, Loving, you know, all those little towns, Eunice, Jowl, you know. And then came over here and started doing the same thing for the entire southern quadrant. So Las Cruces, Carlsbad, Hobbs, Lordsburg, driving back and forth, visiting with parents, talking about language, talking about communication, basically. So it sounds to me, and you were talking about being understaffed when you were at Capitol High School, Having a very unique language skill like this pretty much, I would imagine, guarantees you're never going to have a hard time finding work. Yeah, generally interpreters, we're pretty good at finding work. It's low incidence, and there's very few interpreters, so it's kind of a good fit. You can pretty much go pick up and go anywhere, land a job, you know. I mean, now I work for, I think, three or four different agencies, plus my main video relay that I do. So I can work with anybody, anytime. Now, is it a matter of piecing together a living through three or four part-time jobs? Or, you, or do you have a full-time job that you that pays your bills and then you're kind of doing these other things? Right. My full-time job is a video, video relay interpreter where we <clears throat> field calls from deaf people calling hearing people or hearing people calling deaf people. And uh, so that's my full-time job, basically. I got pivoted at home when COVID hit back March 8th, I think. So I work from home now and uh, COVID made it really impossible to do freelance work. So I was blessed to have that job, you know. Now, I was just talking with my producer beforehand, telling telling her about my impression of, you know, when I, you know, you, you sent me your CV and your, your bio and everything. And um, it kind of made me think is what you're doing now with the video relay, with the video relaying stuff and you you said people talking what i'm imagining is zoom and facetime and things like that and helping with uh ordering uber eats and things uh is that the 2021 version of tdy do they still is tdy still a thing 
only for a few seniors who don't use a video relay. Um, they never get a TTY call. Once in a while, I'll get a TTY and they use relay. So I'm hearing them typing to me, and then I have to voice back to them and sign to the other person. So it's it's a three-phase interpreting kind of thing. So Now, are you doing... Um... I imagine, are you helping people like with FaceTime calls? Um, it's not FaceTime. It's actual um, voice over internet protocol. Okay. So super high speed internet. I've got a giant two screen monitor. One has the deaf person. One has uh, my software. Click to accept and I can transfer and, you know, do things like that. So the technology is super sophisticated. Um, are you, and I just had this thought with, with the, everything with going on with the pandemic and people being forced like, like right away. And I think they're obviously a year and a half later, we're more used to it, but with zoom calls, have you seen your workload increase, uh, with the, the increase in zoom tremendously m- meetings and things like that? Yeah. And, um, interpreters in the public schools, they use zoom almost hundred percent, you know, when the kids couldn't come to school. All their stuff was on Zoom. Same at the university. It was all Zoom. You know. Did it create problems? Uh, yeah, because deaf people, you know, sometimes don't have access to the technology, and so that's a problem, you know. Or people in rural areas, especially here in southern New Mexico, have a lack of Internet that's stable, you know, and so you're in the middle of a call and it drops. Or you're talking with your doctor through Zoom or a telehealth meeting and the call drops. Or, you know, it's 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 problematic. I would imagine. Uh, again, you just you said something that made me think of other things. You know, there are all there are challenges in every aspect of life when it comes to living in sparsely populated areas. I mean, Doniana County is the second most populated county in the state. Uh, I, I call it semi-rural. Um, but when you're starting, when you're dealing with places that are less populated, people are more spread out. Uh, we have a lot of there's you know, economic challenges here. Um, I would imagine that doing sign language interpreting or just for the the average person who uses American sign language as their form of or primary form of, of communication, that's just another thing that they have to deal with among all of the other things. Right. Uh, the challenges. One of, more step. And you have to put in a special request. And why should you have to do that? Hearing people can just make an appointment with their doctor, but they don't have to do these two other steps and then call back to confirm and make sure you're going to have my interpreter because the last two times I've been here, there's been no interpreter, you know, so they're not getting their services. Now, you, uh, one thing I, I, now, I don't know if I've told you this, I have a little bit of a background um, and may have a better understanding of some of the terminology uh, with regard to American Sign Language in that, you know, my mother was a speech language pathologist. And, uh, you know, she got her master's degree in the 60s, got married in 1966, and when my oldest sister was born in 68, she stopped working to raise a family, and she went back to school when I started high school in 1988. And I remember uh, in seventh and eighth grade, like, you know, 86, 87, 88, tons of American Sign Language books around the house, and she was always practicing. And uh, oddly enough, you know, she passed last year, and she and my dad had moved into a, moved into a retirement community about five years ago. And lo and behold, she was in a sign language club there. And there was somebody, <laughs> the lady that led it, I think, I don't know if she was deaf, but she was a, she was a, a certified, you know, sign language interpreter. So up until her last, you know, last days, 
uh, not literally, but pretty close to the end, at 77 years old, my, my mother was still practicing American Sign Language. She just couldn't get it. You know, she always wanted to try to perfect it. But So I had, a, you know, growing up, I had a little bit of a background understanding that, and, and I've, I even went, uh, there was a class she was taking at, at night at what ended up being the high school that I went to, uh, and I, you know, participated one night, and I learned then that, you know, American Sign Language is American Sign Language. It's not English, um, and that England has their own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would imagine there is a Mexican sign language and something that I found very interesting. I read an article maybe in the last year or so about the push for African-Americans in the United States to express their own culture and their own dialects that every culture has its own, you know, dialects of, of, of a certain language and to really push for an identity um, is that something that you've are you do you have any any knowledge do you know anything about that right there is a, a push towards that because um, every culture communicates very uniquely right and so me as an anglo male i'm not always the appropriate choice to interpret for an african-american male or female because the language is just, we just don't sync and that makes the communication wonky for the hearing person because the hearing person's like what's What's going on? Why are all these lapses and why are all of these repeat that and repeat that? You know, so, I mean, we actively take training on black language, black deaf language and stuff, you know, so we try to become more familiar because we don't have enough black interpreters, you know, at all. And and being, you know, again, touching on the fact that we're, we live in the borderland and we have so many Spanish speakers, um, do you have any training and what would be what would be the mexican and and i know because i i can speak uh at my best i i was able to speak a what i would call a moderate or medium uh, level of spanish understanding has always been much more difficult for me i would imagine mexican sign language spanish is probably different than argentina or spain what what's the mexican what would be the local uh, what would a deaf person who signs who's who's from a family or a culture whose primary language is mexican spanish what what would that be called it's called lengua de señas, um, just Mexican sign language, um, and it's it's very different. It kind of since we're on the border, like if I meet somebody from Juarez, the, I can blend with them, you know. So um, the signs are similar, and you know they I like I can mouth in Spanish, even though I don't know what I'm saying, but <laughs> but um, you know if I hear something, I can mouth in Spanish, and so they get that from my face and then I can sign in American sign language. And so that kind of makes it work. Is there a component um to the program? Now you said you did was it a master's degree in the speech or the language disorders here at NMSU? I do, I have my bachelor's in communication as a speech language here also. Okay, so you So I went the reverse what your mom did. Okay. You know, cuz I was already interpreting, but I wanted to know more about language and so I became a. I went for speech language pathology here at NMSU, and oh. I moved over here. So you have two bachelor's degrees. Yeah. Okay. So you have the one from UNM, which was American Sign Language. So yeah. And then at NMSU was in speech disorders or right communication uh, disorders. Communication disorders. Is there any part of that program that addresses our unique situation here on the border, having American Sign Language and Spanish speaking people? Uh, not very well. It's pretty much university, just articulation. Fix your kids' articulation in school. Uh, that's kind of where it's at. And me, I'm a language guy. I want to figure out how this kid can communicate better, how he can express himself, you know, how can the parents understand them. That, that's my goal, you know. 
I don't want to be in the classroom going, er, you know, say er, Johnny, not, oh, you know, that's not me, you know, so I didn't finish my master's. Have you ever been, um, have you always done just interpreting or have you ever been, have you ever taught? Uh, for example, you have uh, speaking, you know, hearing parents with a, a deaf child uh, and having to teach them to communicate with their kid. I've taught classes and I've taught individual families, you know, but, uh, and classes are good, but um, it's kind of not my thing, you know. Um, takes a lot more organization and preparation on my time, and I'm not good at that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so that's why interpreting is so good for me, because I walk in, it's not me, so I don't have to be nervous, you know, about my work or my stuff. I'm interpreting for somebody else. I'm that person, in effect, you know. I'm using their voice, their everything. And just putting it out there. So I walk in, do that, and I leave. And so that was an easier choice for me. And that's one of the reasons that interpreting is a good fit for me. So. You, I saw something very interesting in your, in your resume. Uh, you mentioned that you're fully immersed in deaf culture. Can you tell me, tell our listeners what deaf culture is? <laughs> Or um, the best you can. I get the chuckle you're you're saying. You probably have probably gonna take more time than we have here. <laughs> yeah, um, it's very tight knit society. Um, everybody knows everybody's business inside and out. Um, it's a generally, and I don't mean to be gruff or anything, but deaf people are very blunt, and uh, so when they say things, you you just have to like not take offense or get thrown off you know it's like sometimes you know it's like they always want to know where'd you go to school who do you know and how much money do you make you know it's just like okay okay <laughs> <You know? laughs> they're pretty upfront with it very much you know that's culturally they're fine with that hearing people you know were more reverse or you know um what's the word opposite no. we're reserved reserved we're more reserved and uh, it's just a difference, you know. So beginning interpreters are often, like, thrown off and they freak out. and you A little know, bit put off at, yeah. at the bluntness. Yeah. I get a lot of transfer calls. It's like, she's asking me too many questions. I can't handle it. <laughs> it's like, okay, so I'll take over the call. You tell her to deal with it. <laughs> um, do you ever feel uh, – I know that, uh, again, because of where we live and the job that I do, when I've been able to speak – Spanish to somebody who doesn't doesn't understand English um, for probably many reasons and and you can see on their face it kind of puts people at ease um, in in one sense uh, it's nice to be able to be spoken to and communicate in a language that you understand obviously um, and unfortunately a lot of people especially who have come from you know south of our border haven't necessarily had the best interactions with authority figures and I've and and, and so I've gotten the impression that they're relieved to know that Okay, this is cool. Um, they can talk to me in my language. I feel like maybe I win some points too by, you know, I've I've taken the time to, to be able to learn how to speak to somebody in a language. Uh, although I'm never going to be one of them, if you will, I'm not of that culture, first of all, right. and I'm not a native Spanish speaker. Have you ever noticed? Um, I mean, you say you're fully immersed, and I, and I don't doubt that. Has anybody ever, any deaf person, ever given you reason to feel like? You're not quite one of us because you can actually hear. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's always an edge, you know, but most of the time 
we're very friendly with each other. I was going to thank you, you know, and I'm like, I appreciate you, you know. Oh, no, thank you for interpreting for me, you know. Um, you did a really good job. Or or they'll give me feedbacks like, oh, I liked what you did, but let me, you might want to work on this. And I'm like, thank you for that. Give me feedback because I'm not, I don't use your the target language. I'm only in my source language right now. And so thank you for helping me. You know, talk about you said tar, you said two words: target language and source language. Okay, Explain so those. the source language is where it comes from, which is my spoken English or my hearing English. Uh, target language is American Sign Language, so that's where I'm going with my source. You know, so whenever uh, a hearing person is talking with me, we're both source in the same way, and then I go target to the deaf person, and then come back to source. So it's that kind of interchange. Just, and there's a lot of thought going into that, but I mean, I mean, I guess you're you're used to it now. You're able to think quickly and react, and it's it's probably not as much thinking maybe as it was thirty. Oh, years ago. every day it's something. You know, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's impossible to be versed in everything because as a language, which I love, it's constantly evolving. You know, and people people from different areas sign differently. You know, they use a completely different sign. So it's, much like American spoken English. I would imagine somebody from New York City and somebody from Mississippi are probably using different. Yeah, but generally hearing people kind of use the same word. You know, sign language can be like one word this versus this. You know, it looks completely different. They both mean short. I don't know, you know, so when I see it, I'm just kind of like, you know, so it's different than being different. didactic you know or uh, dialectical you know or idiomatic you know okay completely different words now we we talked about um you know the difference between black american sign language uh i don't know if and i think we're both old enough to remember the 90s the word you you used the word ebonics a lot in the 90s yeah not something you hear so much today not so much in any case you have a very particular community um in this case uh, a racial group or subgroup small smaller group our minority group who have their own cultural ways and and own very distinct ways of speaking English or American English. Um, talk a little bit about how sign language has evolved over the time you have spoken it. I would imagine, you know, we have this thing called Urban Dictionary. I'm sure you've been to where, you know, mm-hmm. people our age can hear teenagers <laughs> talking like, what, the, what was he saying and what does that word mean? Right. And we can look it up. So we, we all know that through popular culture, probably more than anything else, language changes. Does, has American line, Sign Language pretty much mirrored or evolved or changed at a similar rate as American English over the last 30, 40 years? Yeah, and it's mostly dependent on the pendulum of the educational system. You know, it's like sometimes we're going to do ASL, and then other times it's like, no, we need to revert more to English. And it's like, well, let's do something in between. So we have this weird menage of English and sign language. And it's just, you know, so there's a lot of people that use that mixed pigeon sign English, if you will, um, that are like my age and a little bit older. And then the younger generation now, they're just like, nah, I'm doing full ISL, you know, because they didn't have to go through the oral program. They didn't have to have speech therapy in school. They didn't have to do this. Now they're going to the deaf school. They're just in there and out there. They're independent. Now they got technology out the Yazoo, so they can talk with anybody 
24-7 in their natural language, you know. So it wasn't available to them before. So they were kind of more bogged down with English and uh, and using speech. You know, we're trying to, you have to, you have to learn to be a speech reader because hearing people can understand you. And that's changed for the better. You know, you kind of, you, again, I, I'm a little bit more all over the place with this interview. I, I'm usually a little bit more. I, I tend, I tend, I'm a creature of habit. I tend to go very chronological, um, but I knew all the questions I had. I usually write down a whole script. I'm a little bit all over the place, and excuse me for that. But going back, you kind of made me think of of uh, the public school system here. Now, say somebody has a child who uh, is completely hard of hearing, uh, gets early intervention through whatever service, they start to learn age appropriate or, or whatever their cognitive level is, uh, American Sign Language, and they go to kindergarten. Do they have somebody with them? the entire day does this does las cruces public schools have that ability yes and so you will have somebody that would literally follow a child yes um our schools here in las cruces are mesilla elementary for elementary deaf or hard of hearing kids okay so they it is they are kind of centralized it's it's tracked yeah okay and then they go to camino real and then they go to onyate high school okay and what about what about nmsu NMSU has deaf students popping in and out, same as uh, Doniana Community College. Um, with COVID, it's been really low. The numbers are low. Uh, deaf people generally don't want to go online uh, because it's so much reading and it's so much writing and response. You know, get on a discussion board and discuss this, and then write a summary response paper. And deaf people are just like, I don't want to do that. I want to be in a class with an interpreter. I want to do my assignment and turn it in. And have you had challenges with um, people having to wear masks? The, I mean, the whole lip reading yeah, thing. Yes. And you, the, <laughs> and you deal with that however you need to deal with it, right? I have um, a clear mask that's, uh, and then I use a face shield too. You okay. Know, depending on the person or the or the situation. So you just had to. You've had to improvise however you can improvise. Yeah. yeah. Now, now on along the lines of you again going back to. Uh, me being all over the place, and you talking about being fully immersed in deaf culture. Um, I actually grew up uh, right outside of Washington, D.C., and had never really thought about it. My dad worked in the city for 20 years. Actually, when I was in college, I worked in bars and nightclubs for, you know, four or five years. So definitely close enough to drive in on a daily basis. Never even really thought about it until this summer when I took the family to visit my dad, and I mapped it out. The house I grew up in was 13.2 miles from the White House. Um, and being in that area, obviously, uh, is Gallaudet University. Private private university, um, mm-hmm. school for the uh, what, what was the title? School for the deaf. Or? School for the or, yeah, it's a school for the deaf of um, arts and fine arts. And would you college. would you say that Gallaudet University is probably the center of deaf culture in the United States? Definitely, I would say first the individual schools for the deaf at the state level, and then they kind of go to Gallaudet or they go to Rochester Institute of Technology, which is right there. Um, there's several other universities that are more technology aligned in that area, but the, that area definitely is the hub. Have you spent any time there? Have you been to Gallaudet? No, I have not. Okay. I knew actually in, when in the, the gym that I used to go to before I moved out here, there was a guy who worked there. I think he played football at Gallaudet. My understanding was they, they do their snap counts by banging a drum or so i don't know if it's a well i guess you can do a silent count they do that in the nfl but are, do you have any do you know anything about that 
Not about the counts, but I do know that the American football huddle was invented by deaf people. So, because they would get together because they didn't want the other team to see him signing their plans. That that's as a as a big football fan and a, and a fan of the NFL. That's something I didn't know, and I'm you learn something new every day, Tim. Yeah, because they would hide you know hide their hide right? their plays. That's pretty cool. You know, I just saw, um, and we're starting to see obviously. If you look at C-SPAN or if you watch any White House press briefing, there's always uh, somebody signing. Yes. Um, something that's come up much more recently, and you can see it You know, on social – if you're on social media, you'll see things come across your timeline or your news feed periodically. Um, I don't know how this works for other types of music, but I know hip-hop and rap. Uh, I just saw it was – I think it was Cardi B. I'm a little bit old. I haven't listened to contemporary hip-hop since the 80s. And when I say contemporary, I mean – hip-hop and rap music that's out at the time. Um, I mean, now I'm usually about 10 or 15 years behind. But um, I think it was Cardi B. <laughs> just, I just saw it yesterday or maybe this morning. But there was a sign language interpreter. And I, like I said, I don't know if that would work for heavy metal or, or any other type of music. But I find it, there's, a, there's a, a, an ability to express oneself with a person's body as they're signing that is ex- very, very unique to that, that particular type of music, you know, mm-hmm. that art form. Um, do you, have you have you noticed that that or is that something that you have any interest in or do, anything you can I'm share with us? I'm too shy for that, but <laughs> <laughs> but there are some fantastic interpreters, the musical interpreters. Check out Amber Galloway. I mean, she does rap like nobody's business. I mean, she's an interpreter out of Houston, and she's just amazing. And she memorizes every song, and she memorizes every lyric, and then she practices it. You know, for weeks on end before she does a show, and she's up there just banging it out. That who knows? That very well could have been who I saw. She had pink hair, kind of a big girl. Hard. To, I. You know what? It was. <laughs> you probably do this too. As a, as a, we're, we're both in this. I think you're a few years older than I am, but same, fairly same stage of life. There's a middle aged thing where I can go to my wife and I. Same thing. Go to bed at nine o'clock and you wake up at two in the morning. <laughs> Without fail, I feel you, and you don't want to, and you, and you, then you stress about. Well, if I fall asleep now, I can get this. So I, I want to say that it was in the middle of the night. And I didn't have my glasses on, so I, yeah, I, I was watching yeah. it. And I was fascinated by it. It's certainly something that I had not something that I hadn't seen before, but uh, I thought it was actually kind of timely because I knew you know we were going to be doing this interview today. Um, I don't know that I think I've covered all the stuff I want to cover as as the. Um, the Square Peg Podcast representative of the American Sign Language community in southern New Mexico, Mr. Tim Farr. Uh, is there anything uh, that I haven't asked you? Do you think it would be interesting or important just for the average listener to know about uh, deaf people, deaf culture, or, or the use of American Sign Language? No, I would just say, you know, um, don't be afraid to approach a deaf person and just, you know, say hi or engage, you know, because they don't get that as much as we do, you know. I mean... Even if you don't know sign language, just a nice wave is, they like that, you know? I mean, it's just cordial and, you know, they don't get the same kind of positive social interactions that we do. And that, that hurts probably have my a long feelings. Term, it can probably have a long-term psychological effect. Yeah, on for sure. I was going to say, I think there are some universal signs that everybody knows, but they're probably not the ones you want to use when you're trying to be cordial. Probably nice. not. <laughs> so let's except stay away the, from except those. the thumbs up one or the Th- okay thumbs up and okay. Well, it depends. Apparently, okay is not cool anymore. It means well, you're it depends on which orientation you're going. Okay, at, you, you so. got to turn your hand the right way. Yeah, 
Ladies and gentlemen, um, I have really, really enjoyed uh, my time speaking to Tim Farr today. Uh, this is our, our kickoff episode for Season 4 of the Square Peg Podcast. Um, we may not be releasing episodes weekly, uh, but we got, them, we got them coming. We're recording them, and we will be releasing them uh, as we see fit. Thank you uh, for listening to us. Tim Farr, thank you for being on the show. We will see you next time on the Square Peg Podcast. Thank you for having me. Hey, if you are having a wedding... Uh, and you need a photographer or videographer, if you are a local artist in the southern New Mexico or West Texas area and you uh, need a video, a music video made, uh, a real good place to go is my, my friend Isaac Palafox's business, Palomore Productions. Uh, they're located pretty close to Las Cruces downtown. And uh, you can find them on Facebook, you can find them on Instagram and all those different places. Uh, you can also get them at uh, www.palomora.com. For all your weddings, music videos, and anything else you need, a professional videographer or photographer. The Square Peg Podcast, proudly produced by LasCrucesToday.com and Bravo My Communications.